founder, sometimes you, you get bogged down and like, I want it my way because in the early days, everything was your way. But as you scale, that's no longer possible. Hi, I'm Aaron Levy, and I have this crazy vision of a workplace where your manager doesn't suck, where instead of being the reason you quit your job is actually the reason you stay, where your manager is your coach to help you reach your full potential at work. I founded Raise the Bar, wrote Open, Honest, and Direct, and started this podcast to help companies transform their workplace by creating an environment where both the company and employee succeeds. In this podcast, I get to interview leaders who built high-performing teams and learn from them on what it takes to unlock a team's potential. Today, I'm lucky to have Chris Rudigrap, the co-founder and CEO of Sendoso, a leading sending platform that gives companies new ways to engage with their customers through the sending of digital and physical gifts while also enabling them to track the ROI of each send. With more than a decade of sales experience at TalkDesk, Yapstone, Picora, Chris uncovered some best bets that he would take into building Sendoso into what it is today, a global organization with nearly 250 employees and over $50 million raised in just under four years of time. In today's conversation, Chris shares why his number one priority as the CEO is hiring and retaining top talent, and his number two priority is enabling that top talent to be at its best. Chris shares some unique strategies for finding the right fit when hiring, and what are the two steps to take when building a team from the ground up. I know you'll enjoy, and have a blast. Well, welcome, Chris. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for coming on and, uh, and joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today, Aaron. So you founded Sendoso in 2016. That's like just under four years and now you already have almost 200 employees. I'm curious, how, how did you gain such fast traction? Yeah. So, you know, the, the idea for Sendoso came out while I was in sales myself. So I think for a lot of founders, you have to, you know, you have an idea. Um, maybe it comes from a pain point or maybe it's just like a vitamin and not really like a pain. Um, and so, For me, this was a big pain point I felt. And so we really had product market fit day zero. Um, In fact, while I was finishing building up the last quarter of kind of product and engineering, my co-founder was already pre-selling through like a slide deck. So we had dozens and dozens of customers like ready to use it and pay like day one. Um, And so with that kind of demand, it really allowed us to hire people. we originally were bootstrapped. So for the first uh, year or so, we bootstrapped and we're trying to only hire people based on how much like revenue or profits we were building. Um, but we quickly saw that there was just so much demand for what we were building that we raised some capital and then that really helped us accelerate our hiring plans. How has your role changed as you've gone from an individual contributor selling and, and marketing to your clients to the CEO of a company that's now 250 people? How's your yeah. role changed kind of over, over the course of, of the Sendoso's lifespan? Yeah, I mean, day one, I changed from being sales to being a product manager to being almost an engineering manager. To, so for my first you know, six, nine months, I was building product specs, writing PRDs, uh, doing scrum meetings. So it was completely different than what I'd ever really done before. Um, so I just had to really uh, learn by doing um, and I think uh, some of that just takes the confidence in knowing that you can do it um, and taking that leap of faith and just saying, I can figure it out. Yeah. How did you get that confidence? 
to say, I can't uh, do this. But you're taking on these, you know, you're hiring engineers and you're bringing on people and you're saying, hey, trust me, I know how to lead you. Yeah, I think not um, experience. You know, I think sales background helps. You know, a lot of times when you're selling things, even at early startups, there's a lot of ambiguities. Um, you know, you're really having to, uh, in some cases, sell the dream, even though the dream's being built as you go. Um, so I think my sales background helped me really build confidence in, you know, anything I can do, I can do. Um, and so that mentality transferred over into product saying, hey, I can build this. And what would you tell leaders who think I need to be an expert in this area? I need to be an expert in product development or in engineering to actually lead a team of, you know, expert engineers or, or product, product people. Yeah. I mean, I think it all depends on what, what stage you are in the company, you know, as a founder, you're kind of tasked with doing everything. So if you are the founding leader, you kind of have to be good enough at everything or, uh, you know, at least being able to kind of fake it till you make it in some of the very, very early days. Um, or later on in a, you know, in a startup's life, like now when I go to, you know, hire our CMO, for example, you know, I expect him to be, you know, a, you know, a world leading marketer. Um, so I think it just depends on the time that you're in a startup. Um, you know, if it's pre-seed, people are going to have different, uh, wear different hats than when you're post-series B. And how did the role or the hats that you had to put on change as you went, um, presumably, you know, that first year of bootstrapping it and, and only growing, I'm guessing, to a certain number of employees and then kind of taking on funding and, and exploding that employee growth? Yeah, I mean, I really took on every role. So I was like our first customer success manager. I was our first project manager. I was our first, you know, sales engineer. I was our first finance invoice person. Um, I was our, really our first everything. And then I would trans transition those to a point where I'd be like, okay, I'm ready to, ready to hire for this person, for this person, for this person. So, you know, I think our, uh, outside of, uh, our first engineer hire, we hired a customer success manager first. Um, and so that was, uh, um, maybe more unique hire than maybe some companies make in their first hire, but my, my me and my co-founder both had great sales backgrounds. So we had more, customers than we could handle in the early days. So we needed customer success to hand, to come in and, and help uh, with that. So um, I think it's uh, it's a kind of an early catch 22 of how much you can do yourself to how quickly you can find someone that you can delegate it to um, and be comfortable with that delegation. I know some founders have maybe trouble giving up. Uh, for me, that was the exact opposite. I was always looking for smarter people that could jump in and free me up from one thing so that I could do another thing. And there's always another thing to do. I love that you said for smarter people, right? You're like upgrading exactly. your position with somebody else that could do it better. Exactly. And I think you have to have that mind, mindset because as a founder, sometimes you, you get bogged down and like, I want it my way because in the early days, everything was your way. But as you scale, that's no longer possible. And so you need to be really good at finding smarter people that you can delegate stuff to and relinquish control and know that they are the new CEO of their own destiny so that they can come in and be successful rather than coming in and being micromanaged, which um, I think can cause problems from the start. And inevitably then people are not going to do things necessarily the way in which you would have wanted them done. How did you handle or grapple that early on when 
you brought somebody on who was super talented and they did something in a different way. I think I'm a, a very opportunistic thinker saying, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I maybe wouldn't have done it that way, but like, hey, I'm, let's give this a shot and see how you do it. Um, and obviously I'm providing feedback along the way as I think I was, you know, an early expert in most things, but you know, there's a ton of stuff that I would have never thought about that we've done or been able to accomplish without the amazing people we've had join the team. So, um, yeah, I'm a big believer in hiring, you know, awesome people that are more awesome than me. I love, and I love that you say it. It's not, it's just, it's just a different way of doing things and it's not right or wrong, but it's something that we should test out and, and letting those people learn by doing, as opposed to learn by you telling them uh, what to do or what not to do. Exactly. Where are you, like in, in the evolution of the business, where are you focusing your time and your energy now? What's, what's important for you to focus on for Sendoso? Yeah, so, you know, I'm always focused on hiring. So I think I've, you know, from day one to now, hiring is one of the biggest things that I, I like to be a part of both from a even sourcing standpoint of reaching out to, to top talent to being a part of the interview and, and onboarding and even um, kind of the early enablement uh, processing, really getting to know the team from day zero. I do a, a lot of things during our new hire training to um, I have this, you know, ask Chris anything kind of random uh, connected with typically five to 10 uh, random employees a week just to have a kind of a one-on-one. Um, so I think from a employee standpoint, hiring and retaining is probably my number one focus. And then I would say outside of that, it's uh, how do I, you know, enable the leaders that I've brought on to, to lead the team. So is there things with resource constraints or other uh, connecting the dots that I can help with? And then, you know, miscellaneous, uh, I would say like more like skunk work projects or uh, new teams that are getting started. Uh, for example, we have a, a new markets team that we just kicked off that's going after new markets. Um, so we primarily sold into kind of B2B companies and more into sales and marketing use cases, but we've seen a ton of interest in other verticals like, um, you know, real estate, insurance, financial services, even verticals like um, HR and recruiting. So I'm kicking start, kickstarting that team. Um, and there's, you know, typically another half dozen initiatives I'm, I'm working on that I either get started with and then help them become successful or kind of sit in on, you know, the weekly meetings to, to chime in as they scale. Hmm. So you, you said a couple of, you said a lot of, of really interesting things is one is you meet with five to 10 different people on your team in a given week to just ask you anything and have a one-on-one. Yeah, very non-structured. You know, obviously I meet with other people too for more for structured purposes around projects or initiatives or meetings. But the the goal of this is to find different nuggets around what's working, what's not working, or hear about them personally to get to know them better. I talk to, you know, just on a daily basis, a ton of founders and leaders and it it seems like there's, there's a lot of things that founders can be spending their time on from raising money to, um, you know, looking at their cap table and the balance sheet and all these other things and sales. Um, and yet what you're seeing, which is fascinating is uh, the number one thing I focus on is hiring and retaining. The number two thing is enabling that team that I hired and retained to, to move forward. And then three is the, is the other projects. And so what makes in your mind focusing on so depth, so deep into the hiring and retaining component, what makes that such the, 
the best use of your time. Yeah, I mean, I think without amazing people, you, you can't have an, you know, you need amazing people to build an amazing product. Um, and if there's an amazing product in a, in, a, in a big industry, then that's really the recipes for success. Um, and so helping people create these, you know, enable them and create processes to make them better, I think is really key. Yeah, I, I just think that people are the foundation for success. And you not only just can say that, but you do that in the way in which you show up on a daily basis by how you spend your time. Correct. Exactly. And I think, you know, uh, creating a culture too, where, uh, me as a CEO and founder is readily available, you know, uh, on the front line, collaborating with the teams helps people, um, you know, it's, it's tremendously helped our culture in a place where people feel very collaborative and, um, excited to come to work. How do you anticipate that changing as you continue to grow? Well, I think as we continue to scale and get to thousands of employees, I will still probably, uh, I, I don't think I would you know, be able to meet with many more people, but my, I think it'd probably be just less of a rotation. So I'm able to, with meeting 10 people a week, rotate through our employees you know, more relatively often, but it's a random thing. Um, as we scale, that might be, a, uh, maybe there's other ways to, to scale that up. Maybe it's, maybe it's mini groups of people um, or, or whatnot. There are ways to, to scale it up or other initiatives to really continue to be um, heavily involved from the ground floor. Yeah. So it sounds like your, your anticipation is even as we grow, that's where the focus is going to lie. Cause that's, that's what's helped us succeed and will help us succeed. Exactly. One of the things I've been curious about is you've gone from, you know, your own startup as a 12 year old to your, your first, you know, real startup in college, um, and then started these other businesses from the ground up learning along the way. What are some of the best bets that you took from those experiences and brought to Sendoso? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, from the startup I started in college, we actually had a remote engineering team day zero and it helped us uh, scale it, like having a remote workforce. Um, it's kind of uh, helped us scale from a cost perspective as we didn't have a, a huge internal burn. We did that again with Sendoso, which was nice. Um, so our engineering team initially um, and still is today um, not based out of San Francisco. Um, we do have engineers here, but it, uh, the majority is outside of, you know, probably the most expensive engineering market. So it helped us keep our costs low. Um, I think hiring uh, the right people early on. So, uh, you know, we hired uh, a COO uh, very early, more earlier than most people do at Sendoso, which was, um, I think, when our first handful of employees and she has been like my right-hand woman to everything that, uh, or most everything that I'm not amazing at. So she really is amazing at things like, you know, uh, finance and operations and real estate and legal and HR and all these other things. So um, it was extremely crucial and it was an expensive first hire, uh, early hire, but one that paid for itself times a million. So I think, you know, that was a, a lesson that I would for sure take on, which is, you know, if you can find a rock star early hire, if it's going to be expensive, you know, take the jump, it's, it'll be worth it. Oh, I love, yeah. Hire that rock star early on. And um, really what you're also saying is hiring for the areas in which you weren't strong in or weren't interested in. Correct. Exactly. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So those are remote workforce, 
hire right early on were some of the biggest things. How else did you make sure you would hire right? Because it's one, it's a competitive marketplace for Mm -hmm. just in general. And two, how do you know that you're hiring right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the, you know, million dollar question there. Um, I think it's, uh, along with hiring, right. You know, you can obviously meet people and background check and back channel that can only go so far, but I think it's also nurturing that employee as they grow with you. So it goes back to the, you know, making them feel empowered to the, you know, having the one-on-ones to the, you know, providing a fun place to work. So, um, I think hiring is only a part of the equation and a lot of employees you can hopefully mold to be better and hopefully that they're excited to grow their career and get better with you. And so a lot of that comes from what we can do as a company once they're joining our team. So um, I I think that we've really tried to focus on culture. My uh, co-founder, Brayden, is now our our chief productivity officer and he really focuses on how does he enable our team around enablement and onboarding and training around career progression, around productivity, around social responsibility. And I think coming from a founder that, um, you know, speaks waves for itself too. Yeah. Oh, that speaks total waves. And it just, it just kind of shifted a dynamic for me. And I think, you know, probably will for some of our audience, which is, when you talked about when you talk about hiring, it's not just hire and then check over the next six months to see if they're the right fit, right? We talk about 30, 60, 90 day plans where you, you check to see, is this employee the right fit? But what you're kind of saying is go through the steps, see if they're the right fit, then hire them and support them to be the right fit. Exactly. And give them the tools so that they can fit and grow within your company as opposed to constantly checking to see, did I do it right? Correct. Exactly. And we've done a lot, a great job of, uh, we probably had a, more than a dozen people that we've hired for one role and have now, um, transferred into different departments. So we're open to that. We've had SDRs that have moved into our partner team, into our success team. Um, we've had CSMs move into our product team. We've had support reps move into our sales solutions team. So we've been really open to, to say that not all people, that we hired for day zero or what they're going to be day 500. And we've, we've really created an open mindset there too, where, you know, moving people around can be better than some some cases hiring externally. That sounds great. Right. When I have all these different departments where I can move people from one to the other, but I'm, I'm guessing you probably did that early on too. And what are some ways in which you were able to do that early on with people who had different skill sets in other areas? Yeah. So I think it was partially around maybe less around they had skill sets in other areas, but they're, they're interested in other areas. Mm. So first and foremost, they were uh, a a Sendoso like industry and product expert. So having a CSM move into a, uh, you know, a customer support role or a CSM support person move into a product role, like there's, they, maybe they weren't, you know, five-year experts on, designing products and PRDs, but they were such a knowledgeable, uh, you know, background on our product and our industry that we were willing to take a jump on that, on them so that we could help teach them to be better product uh, folks. And so that they would come in and and learn more while they're progressing through their careers. So um, I think it's, uh, you know, a a mix of that mixed with also just, um, you know, being open around what roles you're trying to fill and, you know, allowing companies internally to kind of apply for that too. And that's 
adding a tremendous amount of value, which another thing that I, I don't think we do often as business owners is adding a tremendous amount of value to people who know your business. Yes. Right? And what you're saying is, you know, our business so well that you're going to add value to the product development, even though you're working in customer support or customer success, right? You're going to add value to the sales process because you've been able to see how the product works, right? And so you're able to move people around based on what they're excited and passionate about, not just based on what they're good at. But it, what you're saying is it's centered on their knowledge and domain expertise in our business. Exactly. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, that's a really, really insightful tip for people to like look at is, you know, oftentimes I have clients say, hey, we, well, this person's a great culture fit and they know us so well, but they just, they're not, the right fit for this role and thinking about that in a different way, which is how else can they serve and, and what excites them about the organization that they might be able to serve the rest of the organization. Exactly. Precisely. So this has just been awesome. I mean, I, I do have a couple more things I'd love to, to, to glean from you. And, you know, one of the things you, you talk about, and when I go to the Sendosa website, right, you're like the sending platform, but the obvious question is then is, what is a sending platform? Because it's not something that is intuitive to, I think, the market in general. I think you're, you're kind of developing a new, a new product type. So what, yeah. what is it exactly that Sendoso does? Yeah, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a great question. I think that you know, for companies that are extremely successful, they're often creating new categories. Um, and you can time and time again in history of, of startups, you can see these category creators. And so for us, we've kind of dubbed ascending platform as the category we play in. You know, historically, you could maybe think of us as a, a direct mail or gifting, uh, corporate gifting platform. That's, uh, you know, has some old stigmatisms to it. It's also uh, lengthy. And so, you know, calling us ascending platform allows companies to continue to think about us in, in that unique mindset and other companies as they come in to emerge as competitors for us are also starting to use that. Um, terminology. And so for me, what it really equates to is a sending platform. There's a, there's components to that, that involve the, the, like the uh, central software platform that allows you to set up users and create rules and budgets. There's the integrations component. So you need to have integrations into your CRM, marketing automation, sales and and tech stack. There's the sourcing and warehouse component. Um, and then there's the, really the ability to send anything that you'd want. And I think as uh, you take all those uh, pieces and plug them in together. That's really what creates a setting platform so that it enables, you know, uh, customer facing or internal teams to be able to click and send you know, anything in near real time, track that through their, their platforms and then uh, see success and track the ROI on the outside. So. Uh, yeah. So when you do say sending platform it encapsulates the whole picture then. Correct. Yeah. And I think uh, the goal there is, you know, we could call us a, you know, a direct mail platform, but you think about direct mail from 30 years ago that didn't integrate, that didn't have a lot of options. That was, you know, maybe a spreadsheet that you sent to some mail house to send some postcards. So we wanted to get rid of those old, you know, mindset and give you something fresh and new to deliver based on the technology and infrastructure we built and the changing needs of businesses. Yeah. My guess is from a marketing standpoint, you get people say, what is that? And when they say, what is that? They're going to explore it more as opposed to saying, I know that I know what direct mail is. I don't want any part of it. 
For sure. It also allows us to be a line item. So when we have a, you know, a CMO or a VP of sales use us at one company, they're moving to the next company and like, hey, we need a sending platform here. Or even the senders, the, the SDRs, the AEs, the, the, the CSMs, when they're switching companies, they're like, hey, I need to Sendoso somebody this, or I need, a, I need a sending platform so I can send out this. And so we become, uh, you know, a verb or a, you know, a, a, in their vocabulary, which makes us more sticky and drives a lot of longevity in terms of our brand. What's the, the one thing that you're probably most excited about over the next three years for Sendoso? Uh, I think it's just continuing to scale. I mean, we just closed, you know, a 40 million series B, you know, a couple months ago. And so that's just gives us infinite runway to be able to continue to build upon our vision, um, you know, hire more amazing people and help a ton of companies build, you know, better, meaningful relationships with, with their prospects or customers or partners or even their employees. So I think we're just uh, scratching the surface on how we can help companies worldwide. Well, it's a really exciting time. And it sounds like you are focused in the areas that will only enable you to grow more, which is, which is your people. Um, exactly. And that's what I've seen time and time again, you know, drives long-term success, not just short-term success. This has been a blast and a pleasure. And, um, you know, you just gave me so many gold nuggets and, and I know our audience too. And so, um, you know, from all of us, I just want to say thank you and really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. This was great. Want to hear more great stories like this one? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review. And you can always drop us a note at openhonestanddirect.com. Cheers. Cheers.